And welcome to Pod Pod. Apologies for the husk. I've been overdoing it on the Christmas parties. My name is Rihanna Dillon. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast where we talk about the latest trends in podcasting. We have a chat with brilliant innovators and generally just do that meta thing of discussing podcasts on a podcast. Joining me today is Adam Shepard, editor of Pod Pod, and Reem Makari, journalist and Pod Pod reporter. Hello. Happy Christmas. Hello. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. How are you guys doing? You sound almost as ill as I sound, Reem. <laughs> <laughs> very uh, fluy, um, very much in Christmas spirit, um, <laughs> but in recovery. <laughs> I'm so glad. Adam, how are you? I am good. I am full of Christmas cheer and not quite so full of sickness as uh, the pair of you. So I'm uh, happy about that. I'm very glad. So I was at, as I said, a Christmas party, and one of the <laughs> one of the things that I realised I ended up talking about a lot, apart from White Lotus, was podcasts and it's such a weird thing when you meet somebody who listens to the same podcast as you you feel like you're in a special club and it's just really Mm. like you kind of grab each other like oh my god you listen to this too it's my favorite one did you hear that episode when and it find it so cheering actually Mm. do you find this are you kind of part of that little exciting excitable podcast crew i am and i can also say that 55 percent of people are also because spotify's actually done research into this apparently 55 percent of people share podcasts as a way to start conversations and socialize with other people so yeah that is clearly a very common thing where you use podcasts as a kind of icebreaker. Uh, I know I certainly have a few kind of go-to podcast recommendations whenever anyone asks me, kind of, oh, what podcasts should I be listening to? Which, unsurprisingly, I, I get asked quite a lot. What do you say? What is your sort of go-to overarching one? Well, my two kind of staples recently have been No Such Thing as a Fish, mm-hmm. which I've started listening to again recently. I sort of, it fell fell down the list a little bit, but I'm I'm back in with full force now and then the news agents is the other one because i think it's just such a a fabulous sort of format i really should be getting paid commission for the amount i (laughs) pick up the news agents on this podcast but it is it is fabulous reem i've actually i've made a friend through a shared love of podcasting before it was for (gasps) my favorite podcast yeah it was for my favorite podcast it's called um, seek treatment and they were doing a live show in london i didn't know anyone who listened to it and no one wanted to pay 20 pound tickets and i ended up tweeting them saying can you please help me because i don't want to go alone and they tweeted co-tweeted my tweet saying please someone give this girl company and then i ended up dming this girl who said i'll go if you go because i wasn't planning to go and then we both bought tickets and went to the event together um oh, and made a friend so nice. never spoke to her again but she was very nice oh okay it was a good experience which podcast was it sorry uh, seek treatment and so when you do end up recommending these podcasts adam do you find that you're you're trying to tailor your recommendations to the people to their personalities or is it more like a sort of catch-all you should listen to this because like when people ask me for film recommendations or tv recommendations i'll say 
you know, what do you watch already? You know, what are you into? And then I'll, you know, slightly tailor it towards that. But I guess, I don't know, is podcast different? Do you want to listen to things that you, that does take you out of your comfort zone a bit more? I think it, it varies. To be honest. If I know kind of someone reasonably well, and I can, I can judge with kind of a, a decent degree of accuracy, kind of what I think they'll be into, then I may get a little bit more kind of specialized with my recommendations a little bit more personalized mm, let's say mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think in a lot of cases i will just go for the catch-all podcasts that everyone likes because nice. they're just fabulous they are. but also podcasting is such a or not podcasting but podcasts are such a personal thing and in a lot of cases, people listen to quite surprising podcasts. So going back to that Spotify study, apparently almost half of the people that responded to uh, this survey said that people would be surprised at the podcast that they listen to. So, yeah, and I don't know about you, but there's certainly some podcasts in, in my kind of repertoire that I think would be... I think quite surprising mm. for, you know, people that, that know me. I think I'm, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> Adam's staying tight-lipped on this. <laughs> so I think we need to do like a, a full disclosure um, in the name of us doing a podcast about podcasting, lifting the curtain, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the interview that we've done for today's episode was recorded a really long time ago. It was actually our pilot episode it was our first interview that we did and it's with Lou Mensa from Shade and what's so incredible is that Lou just tweeted I think this week saying that Shade had become number one I think on the Apple podcast charts despite her last episode having been released six weeks previously and this is in the the sort of the arts chart I suppose which I think is just such an incredible thing because I don't know you you're always looking for your latest episode to be the one that does the best each time and for suddenly it to find to kind of grow its audience to find new audiences six weeks after it's been released I think is really interesting is Reem is that a sort of normal projection do you think (laughs) I mean, no, I think I think it is interesting. I think it probably has to do a lot with like word of mouth. It's reached a point where many people were talking about it and passing it on to the next person and the next person, the next person, and then it blew up. And I think that's also another thing that's great about podcasting is that a lot of it is based on recommendations from one person to the next. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's great to see it happen to Lou because I think she does deserve it. She does. And she was like the first person, right, to get in contact with you when you mm-hmm. were asking about who to come on this brand new podcast that no one had ever heard of, PodPod. Yeah, she was um, She was like one of the first people to respond to my emails. This was very much in like the early stages of us trying to get the pilot together. And she was very into PodPod as a concept. And I had a pre-call with her before um, the recording. And she was just very nice and honest and open. And I think it was like a 45-minute Zoom call. And to commit to a 45-minute Zoom call is, is a lot. But she was extremely nice and uh, a very dedicated to the art of podcasting like I don't think she does it full time and she records it from home it's a labor of love for her and I think you can really see that in the podcast 
Well, congratulations to Lou Mensa for the Shade podcast being number one in the charts. Incredible stuff. But enough of me rambling on. Let's get to Lou Mensa talking about the Shade podcast. Here she is. Welcome to Lou Mensa. Hi, Lou. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rihanna. It's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's really lovely to talk to you. I mean, Shade is such a beautiful podcast. It's so well curated. And one thing that always strikes me is just how much you cover in every one of your series. Can you, do you have a sort of elevator pitch of what Shade is? Because I feel like it's so wide reaching. Elevator pitch. Okay. That kind of means nothing to me. I'm not very like (laughs) professional in those business terms, but you know, I know what the podcast is about. So I like to focus on representation within the arts. So, you know, it's really looking at artists who perhaps in history have not been focused on, you know, their work has not been elevated as much as, you know, mainstream, maybe white artists who usually filled the canon, the Western canon. And so I, as a black woman artist myself, you know, I was a photographer for a very long time, a fine art photographer. And I was very aware that when I was working and I was looking for inspiration and I was doing my research, you know, I was trying to look for photographers and artists who were covering similar ideas or themes or, you know, who had similar experiences as me. And the mainstream art world back then, this is in the 90s when I started, but the mainstream um, art world didn't really cover the work of black artists so much. So I couldn't be enriched and inspired in that way. So that was one of the reasons I started it, that I wanted to really look at the artists that I was always craving when I was a much younger artist. Mm. So you talk about art, you talk about photography. These are very visual mediums. So tell us about some of the challenges of bringing that to life in a in an audio medium. Lots of people would think that there would be challenges, but actually there aren't challenges because we, we hook up with, you know, Instagram. So I've got quite a strong, you know, and loyal social media following. So images are always on there. Whenever I um, publish a podcast, I make sure I put links to the images that we may be discussing. Um, and for example, the last season that I produced was called Black Images Matter. And it was a season that focused on the media's response to the Black Lives Matter protests that happened in the summer of 2020. And I made sure that I chose images that that people who didn't work within the arts um, or did not, you know, were, were not familiar with vis- visual culture. I chose images that were on every cover of every magazine, on every news channel, on every magazine stand, you know, on the front covers. So I made sure for that season, for example, that I chose images that people were very familiar with, that they were talked about, that they um, sparked discussion. And so that wasn't an issue at all. And, and the images were also linked into the podcast description. You have managed to create a really striking brand. You know, the look, not just the sound of your podcast feels really vital. Do you think that, you know, if you're new to podcasting or you haven't quite figured that out yet, would you advise having somebody who like you has got a kind of professional career in that to come on board? Or do you think that you are able to just sort of grassroots that without any idea? I think you should grassroots it. You know, I grassroots it. I don't have a design background, you know, I'm, I have a photographer's eye, so I'm able to capture images and, you know, I have a visual eye, but I'm not a graphic designer. 
So I just used Canva and popped some things together there um, myself on Canva. So that's how I produced the podcast artwork. And the image that I used in the artwork is an image of my daughter that I used. So I just sort of mocked that up myself. I actually do have a designer that's coming on board for next season because I'm doing something um, very different and very special for next season. So this is the first time in two years that I'll be hiring someone else to help me with the artwork. And I just had a, a little Twitter chat with um, Elizabeth Day the uh, the other day, actually, yes. um, from the How to Fail podcast. And she just drew her podcast artwork with a felt tip pen herself. And she just uploaded it. She's like, I didn't have the resources to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that we can concentrate on these small details too much. And I think it's the content that matters and getting the word out about your podcast that matters um, more than anything. Before we start talking about your new series, can you just tell us about how you create all of your series? Because a lot of them are reactive. You are talking about things that are happening in the moment. Well, the first three seasons were very instinctual and kind of reactive, but not in terms of maybe reacting to the news or what was going on socially or culturally. It was reactive in in the sense that I am very aware of what's going on in the art world, in our visual culture, in music, in literature. That awareness means that I'm constantly connecting with different artists of all types. I'm aware of what they're doing and I'm getting inspired by them constantly. So because that's part of my everyday life, I will then act instinctually in a way that I will just reach out to them and think, okay, this person I feel is right for me to talk to now. They have a really interesting point of view now, the artwork that they're creating now, or the kind of ideas and the themes that they are exploring are really pertinent now. So for the first three seasons, there wasn't any planning. That's how I worked. I didn't plan a schedule. There wasn't any kind of timetable. I would just reached out based on instinct. Oh, I'll ask that person if they say yes, then that's great. We were talking about how the medium of podcasting has sort of given agency and a voice to people who don't necessarily get the opportunities or have been excluded from traditional broadcast mediums like TV and radio. So tell us about why podcasting was the right medium for you to tell these sorts of stories. There's a range of reasons. The first reason is is that I have other commitments, which means that I perhaps can't work within a traditional setting. I have a daughter at home who I've chosen to home educate. So that takes the majority of my time from nine till four every day and then some. So I can't put myself in a traditional work setting. So that was the first thing. The second thing is is that I also have a disability, which means that I also can't work in some traditional settings also. But what I really had was I was really craving to connect and network and communicate with like-minded people who worked in the arts who otherwise I wouldn't be able to access. You know, I can't go to all of the events I'm invited to. You know, I'm invited to all the podcast shows and the panel talks and all of those things, but I can't access those because of my disability and also because of my commitments, but mostly because of my disability, especially through COVID. So I've not been able to do that. And that really affects sort of how you can work. And I thought that podcasting was the perfect medium because you can really set up for very little money. You know, you can have a mic or not a mic. I didn't have a mic for the first two years um, and just have your, your laptop or even your phone. And um, so I didn't have to go to a studio, which I couldn't afford and I wasn't able to to. I could do it around my other commitments, looking after my daughter. And it could be immediate. You know, it was an immediate 
I had a, a thought or I had like something that really inspired me. And it was literally, you can action it so quickly through podcasting. Yes. I can send an email to somebody, say, are you free on Friday night for a chat? You know, and there you are, you're recording. You can't respond as quickly as you can with any other medium as you can as an independent person as you can through podcasting. Mm-hmm. Matt, I'd like to bring you in. Can we talk sponsorship? Have you had sponsors? How do you manage them? What's what's your way of making money out of the show through sponsorship? I didn't make money in the first few seasons and it wasn't a focus. The focus was just to create something really interesting and see how it grows and develops. And then I did start reaching out to a couple of brands who I thought did align with the podcast. And I got a small sponsorship from a health and wellness brand that aligned with the Black Images Matter series because it was about well-being and healing and looking after ourselves when perhaps life is quite stressful. I got a small amount of sponsorship for the first season and then I was really lucky to be approached by an art gallery following that season and they asked me to curate a series of podcast conversations on their behalf. So that was really a commission. But that what happened was that led on then to then offering me sponsorship money for the forthcoming season. So that's been a natural progression. I have reached out to different brands, but up until this point, I'm still working on that. But sponsorship, I think, is quite difficult for independent podcasters because so many brands that I've reached out to base their metrics and the validity of your work based on your numbers you know so if you're an independent podcaster and you're not a celebrity you're not from a major uh, production company you're just not going to have the numbers that bigger podcasters do forgetting the value of your audience because what you've built through your show is a really valuable audience which i can imagine the two sponsors that you've had really valued because they really needed to access them do you, do you feel like they got what they wanted out of the partnership Yeah, they really did. And actually, when I look at it now, there are three sponsors. So I was also approached by another gallery, the South London Gallery. And what happened on the back of their sponsorship is that they offered me a commission after that as well, because they so enjoyed the conversations that we were having. They wanted to continue the work further. So it was beneficial in the point that you kind of get validation by working with really respected brands and sponsors. Well, if if they're coming back for more, that suggests you're doing something right. So I suppose what I'm leading to is, what's your advice for people who are who have an audience that they value and they, they don't have a, the numbers, the 10 to 15,000 listeners that you need to get Acast or Dax or whoever to, to really think seriously about your show, but you've got a valuable audience that a brand would love. How do you engage them? What is your kind of like philosophy for dealing with, you know, which could sometimes be like a big brand or like a really important one. And you're a small podcast. How do you make that work? You need to reach out to brands that really align with your audience and with the work that you're creating or the content you're creating. And rather than trying to be really impressive with numbers and what they can achieve by aligning with you, I think you have to just be really human about it. You know, I will express who I am, what I'm about, what's really important to me, what's really important to my audience, what my audience consists of, why this is a unique collaboration, why I am different from the other big 
bigger, brighter, shinier podcasts that have celebrities hosting them. And then I build relationships with them. It just sort of goes above and beyond just talking about business. And I try to build long-term partnerships with them. I try to think ahead. And it's something that I don't want to be a relationship for a one-off season. So perhaps I will propose to them how this can be an ongoing relationship, how this would benefit them, how this would benefit their audience, how it would expand their audience as well. It's a mutual exchange. And sometimes when you're approaching big brands who have like a bucket of money, they're holding the money and they think, well, why should we give it to them? You know, but it's not about that. It's mutually beneficial. And it's about really explaining and exploring the ways in which it's beneficial to the sponsors as well. Thinking about sponsorship and also compromise, because you do have companies who might have a very specific set of values and suddenly they might want to impart those values onto what you're saying. Where is the line? Can you imagine ever being asked to compromise something that you believe in or want to talk about? And how would that conversation develop? You can't do that and be authentic in in the work that you're creating. I just think you're not going to create the best work that you can. I think your audience are going to know it. Um, I think lots of people do do that. I think lots of people do compromise. And I have a real issue with that. You know, I see lots of people especially within the activism arena, and I'm sure it's in all arenas as well, you know, they do stand for things, but then you do see that perhaps money may come their way. You think, oh, okay, that doesn't seem to align with the messages that you've been promoting for the last five years. I just can't do that. And I have been approached by people to work with them. And even though, you know, I desperately need the money, I'm going to be honest, like I really do. I've said, no, all this doesn't work. I learned that early on that you can kind of move and maneuver yourself and shape shift in order to fit other people's requests, but it's not going to do you any favors in the long run. So it's just best to say no at the very beginning if a request doesn't suit the work that you do. And also I've got a background in working in the charity sector as well. You know, my first job was working with Anita Roddick at the Body Shops um, Charitable Foundation. So I started that in the 90s. And so I learned a lot from working with her. It was about workers' rights. It was about, you know, sticking to what you believe, regardless, no matter what. And so learning that really early on has really supported me throughout everything I've done since. And and so I've been lucky to be able to work with brands who recognize that and respect the work I do. You've sort of teased it. You've got somebody coming in to work on the graphics. I mean, you said it's it's going to be quite a special season. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, this is something very different for Shade. So all of our seasons previously have been conversation-based and interview-based. And for season five, I'm doing something very different. Um, I realized that perhaps, you know, I wanted a break from conversations and interviewing. And I wanted to give the audience perhaps like a bit of a rest and like a space for regeneration and maybe meditation and healing within the art space, because there's been so many problematic things that have happened and so many challenging things that have happened. I think people are tired. And I noticed specifically that my audience who um, are very focused on anti-racism work and anti-racism work within the arts have to kind of be very cerebral about engaging with the work. It's all very intellectualized. And so I wanted to offer a respite from that. And I felt like I needed a respite from that. And so the next season is all going to be about the healing power of the arts. 
we're not going to be talking about the healing power of the arts. We're going to be offering a space for which when the audience plug in and put their earphones on, they will be healed by what we will be offering them. So it's going to be a really interesting new sound space. It's going to be inspired by the healing power of the arts. We're going to be working with some amazing artists, global black artists. And I'm very lucky to have an amazing sound designer, an award-winning sound designer on board, Axel Cacoutier. So he is the creative director of the Guardian podcast. Mouths open. That's incredible. Yeah. So this is the first collaborative project that we've done. So Axel and I have been working together on this for six months. It's the first work of this kind that's happened in podcasting, but also in the art world. So I can't tell you any more or any of the details. It's going to be a big surprise and there will be hopefully a physical actual launch as well where people can turn up and have a nice time. Just talk about disability access and studios. London has the worst studios for disability access. They're often downstairs, they're in basements often and not step free. I mean, is that the only issue or are there other issues? What would you like to see in terms of the way when podcast companies build studios, they make them more accessible? Yeah, so it's not just disabilities that you can physically see. There's hidden disabilities as well that you can't see and there's issues that people aren't aware of. So it's not just about physical access. You know, a lot of people with disabilities can't be in full-time employment. So that affects their finances. That's been my issue. You know, I have to still be supported by disability benefits uh, because I can't work full-time. And so there's a, a financial kind of barrier to accessing studios. That's the first thing. But also there are hidden disabilities as well that aren't visually apparent to people that don't know. So it's not just about walking up and down stairs or using public transport. My particular issue is that especially through the pandemic, you know, I'm immunocompromised, so I can't mix with people. Um, I can't travel on public transport. I can't be in buildings um, with other individuals at the moment. That's a barrier for me accessing those things. But some people with disabilities as well, there's an energy component. So traveling to, preparing for the podcast, the pre-production, then the actual recording, all of that is very difficult for people that have disabilities that affect their energy levels. So people won't be aware when they look at me or when they meet me, I can be as effervescent as anybody else, but it may perhaps take me a week to recover. So for example, last week, I went to an art exhibition because I had to do some preparation for a show. It literally did take me a week to physically recover from that. So that's the energy issues as well. So I can't work properly that week. I can sit in bed and I can do some emails, but we just can't always work to the capacity that an able-bodied person can. So those are the three issues that affect me personally, and I'm sure for other people in the disability community, they have varying issues as well. But I just really value the opportunity to be able to talk about this. So thank you so much for asking me. No worries. Lou, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights with us. Lovely chatting to Lou Menser. Now, I know neither of you were on that interview, so you've both heard it back. But what really struck me about speaking to Lou was something that we haven't really discussed on the podcast before, which was about disability and about how home recording can suddenly open up a world of podcasting, which isn't accessible if you are having to go into studios and the idea of 
not being able to literally get a wheelchair into a studio or being able to walk up some having to walk up steps to get into a studio I think is something that a lot of podcast creators studios don't necessarily think about the accessibility aspect so Reem I know that you spoke to her um, in some detail as well before the podcast so what really struck you about what Lou was saying in terms of the disability aspect of her life? I mean, I think it's great that she was able to do things from home to have that option to record online. And obviously with like post pandemic, there is a lot more technology that helps with the recording and publishing podcasts online. And I know that she did want to go to studios, but it's not something that's an option for her because of her disability. But it's not just studios that need to be more accessible I think within the podcasting world in general things like networking events and awards should also be more accessible for people with disabilities because for for in loose case for example like she can't attend something that she might be nominated for like in person if they don't meet her requirements or networking is a huge huge part of of development for a podcaster because you get to meet people who can give you advice you can get to meet people who will help move your podcast forward and and it helps when it's in person and if that event is not accessible for people who have certain disabilities then it's not going to be an option for them at all and they might fall behind obviously in Lou's case like it's Mm -hmm. great that she's gotten to where she is now and she's obviously doing amazing we also have to think about all the other podcasters that have a range of other disabilities as well um, and how Mm -hmm. the industry can try to be a bit more accessible for them. Adam, this is the first proper sort of arts podcast, I suppose, that we've discussed in depth so far on PodPod. Mm. So visual arts and not something necessarily that you would associate with an easy subject to podcast about. One thing I was really interested in is what she was saying about sponsorship and the fact that two of the, the main sponsors of, I think it's the first series of Shade, are actually art galleries, Mm. which is really interesting because they're not the sort of organisation that you typically associate with, well, sponsoring anything for the most part, (laughs) let alone an audio medium. But it's, it's a really interesting example of how podcasting allows you to reach audiences that you maybe wouldn't necessarily think of, both both from a creator perspective and as an advertiser. And I think it's also worth podcasters looking for sponsorship in kind of their own areas, not necessarily going after the companies that sponsor a ton of podcasts, but what organizations would really benefit from association with your brand specifically. Go out, reach out to them proactively because you never know, they might be in the market for more marketing opportunities. That's a really good tip. Really interesting. Great advice from Lou. And thank you so much to Adam and, of course, Vareem joining us when she's feeling rubbish. Much appreciated. (laughs) Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas. Do you know what would be a really lovely Christmas present is if you subscribed to PodPod and 
gave us a little Christmassy review, it would be very much appreciated. Thank you again to Lou Mensa for the great chat. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media. Find out more on everything that we have to offer in the world of podcasting on podpod.com. I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon, and PodPod will be back in two weeks. So I will see you in 2023. Have a great Christmas. Bye. Bye.